0: And I'm really excited about the message today because uh, we have uh, studied a, a particular man in the New Testament before at Christmas time, and uh, and he's presented to us, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Luke. Now, Luke was a contemporary with Jesus, uh, but Luke was not a. Immediate disciple of Jesus. He was a follower, but he was not one of the 12 disciples. You say, why did he write this? Well, Luke was a researcher. Luke was a medical doctor. And Luke was known for his strength, both physically, but also his testimony of strength. Meaning, if there was anyone that Theophilus, who was the sponsor, the, the financier of this Research project called the Book of Luke. If there's anyone who could be trusted, if there's anyone who had a reputation to lose, it was Luke. Now Luke enters into the 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 courtroom of uh, the the uh, book that he's presenting and the case that he's presenting uh, for Christ. He enters a man by the name of Simeon. Can we say that word together, Simeon? So. I don't know if we have any Simeons in the room. That's a beautiful name. We'll talk about the meaning later. But Simeon was someone specifically that was singled out by Luke. Wasn't singled out by any of the other authors. The Holy Spirit had Simeon on his mind, and he wanted us today to learn from this man. Now, if you have a Bible, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter number 2. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to be putting all the verses that I'm going to be reading up on the screen. And uh, they're also in your notes. And so make sure you have some notes and, uh, and, and, and follow along because uh, we're going to go verse by verse through this. But before we do, I want, you to, I want you to know the structure of how we're going to spend the next few minutes. First, I want to, I want to show you uh, the first half, the perfection of Jesus. And I want to go through the perfection of, of, of who Jesus was why he claimed to be perfect, and go through the proofs of some of that. And then the second half of the message, when we start the outline, you'll know we're halfway through, and I want to show you why that's important to our imperfection, okay? Now, who in here uh, is perfect, okay? Now, there should be no hands, okay? And if I were to ask the opposite question, who in here uh, is imperfect, every hand should be raised, right? Uh, So thank you for being so responsive, uh, but let me just say something about our imperfection. Our imperfection is directly related to the people around us. Meaning we feel better when we're around someone who's less perfect, perceivably, and we feel a little worse when we're around someone who has, perceivably, a little bit more together. Well, when we enter Jesus' perfection and the miracle of his perfection, we're going to see how there's a beautiful picture through the life of Simeon, of someone who knew that he was not perfect, but knew that his imperfection was leading him towards someone who was perfect, toward a perfection that was to come. And so there's a key word that if I had to sum up this entire passage that we're going to go through today, the key word that I would use is anticipation. Anticipation. We're not sure exactly when Simeon started to anticipate the coming Messiah, but somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit told, he came and spoke. We don't know if it was through an angel, we don't know how, but somehow God got the message to Simeon, and this was the message. You will not die until the promised one, the perfect Son of God, is in your midst. Meaning, you will see the Messiah before you're dead. Now, he is the New Testament version of Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man on record. He, his name means when he's gone, it will come. What was it? It was the flood. And so, just as God had used Methuselah as a sign, he was using Simeon as a sign of Jesus coming. When you see the Messiah, then you will be able to go to heaven. And so he anticipated. Again, we don't know how long, but I believe he anticipated it for a very long time. And when he was in the temple every single day saying, looking at all the children, is that the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? Is that the promised one? Is that Christ? Is that the one called Jesus, Yeshua? Is that the one that they are going to call Emmanuel? Is that the one? And and for years and years, and the Holy Spirit would say, not that one. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Now, the words not yet are going to be used a lot the next few weeks, especially on Christmas morning. Uh, when I grew up, uh, you know, Christmas morning was a big deal. When you woke up, that's when Christmas started. And so as early as you woke up, that's when it started. Now, every once in a while, we would wake up really early, like before the sun. And I remember, uh, you know, we, uh, I was downstairs. My sisters lived upstairs, and, and we would start getting on the stairs, and there would be a little note taped to the final stair that said, Not yet, okay, and my parents were still setting up. I don't know why my parents did this, uh, but they would hide our stockings. If you found it, you got it. If you didn't, my parents got it, okay, so I don't know exactly why they, we always found it, of course, Um, and they would help us, but that was kind of to build the anticipation, and then right away, we would read a very quick version of the Christmas story, and then we'd get into the presents, and man, there'd be paper flying everywhere, and it was just kind of a fun time. Now, when I married Danielle and started to do Christmas with them, their anticipation levels are through the roof. In fact, I remember thinking to myself when I first went over there for Christmas, I'm glad we don't have kids yet because this would be purgatory. Purgatory. Because their idea is wake up late, kind of mosey on over, you know, get some get some breakfast, uh, then maybe even eat lunch, and then open the presents. And I'm thinking, man, if I was a kid right now, I'd be going crazy. Like, really? We're going to wait five hours to open presents, right? So... Regardless of how your home does it, and by the way, don't tell my boys that, that normally you open them first thing because they're just used to you know uh, g- getting presents later on in the day, which is fine. But I, I, I remember thinking to myself, you know that feeling of anticipation like, come on, come on, come on. It's kind of the feeling that you get when the, when the light's turning yellow and the guy's going really slow in front of you. Okay, Like, come on, go a little faster, I want to make this light that's the feeling he lived with for who knows how many years he was anticipating the coming of the messiah he was anticipating the fact that jesus was going to be here in his lifetime they had been waiting for 400 years nothing was said and then when something was said to him many scholars believe that no one believed uh, simeon That he said, yeah, 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 of course God told you that. We've been waiting 400 years and people have said that the Messiah and then they turned out not to be. And he said, no, it's going to come in my lifetime. I think every time someone who wanted to mock Simeon, I think, and I don't know this, but I think every time they saw him, they would look at him and say, you're not getting any younger, Simeon. You're not getting any younger. He's still not here. Maybe it was a false promise. But that one day that we're going to read about was the day when he saw him. And so I want you to know that the last couple weeks, we've been building a case for Christ through the miracles of Christmas. The first miracle is the miracle of prediction. There are over 300 predictions that came to pass when Jesus came to earth. Now, if you want to explain away that one and you want to explain away the virgin birth, you have to deal with the miracle of, of God's perfection in Jesus Christ. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at that, but I, I want you to notice that uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to be studying from Luke chapter 2, the first few verses. And I'm um, really looking forward to that very special service. But uh, in your notes, just in way of introduction, Luke, two chap- uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 4 says this. It says that Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. One of the most remarkable miracles is that Jesus chose to be in a place like Nazareth, yet was claimed to be perfect. Now, Nazareth had every part of imperfection that you could think of. Um, Nazareth, in fact, I think we have a picture that we used last week of Nazareth, but there's, there's, a, there's a general uh, area of Okay, so Nazareth, the city, this is a, an older picture of Nazareth, the city, is a part of Galilee. So it would be like Palmdale is a part of L.A. County. And so it's actually a beautiful area, and, and, and they, they, they do a lot of agriculture. This is during the spring when it looks nice and lush, kind of like Palmdale looks for about one week in the spring. Uh, nice and green for about a week. Um, and, and so this is the area that it was in. But if you read through the history of Nazareth, what happened was the Romans uh, actually had a, a, a fort right outside uh, Nazareth. And it was burned to the ground by Herod because, Herod the Great, because all of the, all of the, uh, ar- all the armor and all of the spears and all the weapons had been pillaged. And so he said, you know what, if you, wanna, if you want an insurrection, I'm going to take the, the fort that you're going to use at, for an insurrection. I'm going to take that away from you. He burned it to the ground. Uh, when Jesus was a boy, that fort, that area would have been started to become uh, not a, a, a uh, stronghold, but it, actually they started making a city there. And uh, and they started to build it up for a city. I believe, and many scholars believe, that Jesus worked uh, in that city, rebuilding that old uh, town that was that was used to be a military base, but it became a city later on. I believe that Jesus worked as a as a mason, okay, as as a construction worker with his dad, rebuilding those houses. I truly, his stepdad, of course, Joseph. Um, and so and so that's the landscape that 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 we're coming to. And so this uh, lowly um, carpenter's son, not working with wood but working with stone, from Nazareth claimed to be perfect. And not only did he claim to be perfect, but everyone around him uh, attested to the fact that you could not find a mistake in his life. Now, I just have to pause before we move on and say that of all the places... (laughs) of all the places, that God could have taken his son and placed him on earth. Like, like, really. I mean, God could have placed his son in America. God could have placed his son uh, in Australia. There are better climates. There are better views. Okay, There are better places than Nazareth, Israel. And let me just tell you something. Next time you get really burned out about Palmdale, let me just show something to you, okay? Here's, here's some facts about Nazareth, okay? Nazareth was uh, a, a, quite a walk to work. There was not work in Nazareth. Very few jobs in Nazareth. And so it was a construction commuting town. Most of the infrastructure was from the Roman military, so it was a military town. Uh, there was still some military outposts. It was, it was kind of dwindling during uh, Jesus' days. And most of the days, I love this, were windy and a wide range of temperatures. Does that sound like anywhere? It sounds just like Palmdale. In fact, do you know what Nazareth is? Nazareth is high desert. And so Jesus chose to come to Palmdale, basically. <laughs> Jesus chose this climate, this topography this demographic, a commuter military town, to bring his message of good news. Now you say, okay, that's the place, but why is that important? It's important because he chose an imperfect place. He chose a place not for its comfort, but he chose a place to show that his perfection could come down into imperfection. And that he could live in a place that was difficult to live in so that we could live in a place that we live in now and have his strength. And so that he could have the empathy to know, I've been through it. Wendy, been through it. Summer in the afternoon, winter at night, I've been through it okay? I've been through the struggles. I've been through the storms. I've been through a city that no one wanted to live in. I've been through the challenges. He lived in an imperfect place like Nazareth so that we know we can live through an imperfect place called our family, our lives. That is the story of Jesus coming to Nazareth. So here's the key thought. Jesus lived through imperfection in Nazareth so we could uh, abide and, and be able to live through the imperfection of right now. Now, Jesus talked about him being perfect. There's lots of different times where he said this, and lots of different people attested the fact. I've given you a few verses in your notes for that. But Jesus didn't just claim to be perfect. Lots of other people did. And in fact, there are a few things that, that, that people can't explain. If they want to explain away the predictions, if they want to explain away the virgin birth, very few people can explain away this. And If you know a skeptic or if you're a skeptic in the room, I would just ask you to consider this. Okay? Here, here's some things about Jesus claiming to be perfect. All right. His perfection was not refuted. Now, now you say, well, there's a few people who said he made mistakes, and, and none of those are valid. You can go through and look at the historical and archaeological you know, documentation for the writings, and, and, and you can read all the people who want to say whatever they want to about Jesus, and he did this, and he did that, and he made this mistake. There's a lot of people who are saying things, but nothing has been proven as credible. In fact, it's direct opposite. His perfection was widely stated In fact, there's so much scholarly writing, and there's so much evidence that points to the fact that there was not a flaw. And then finally, his perfection was sacrificially supported. Did you know that, that there were many people, not just the disciples, but there were many people who lived during the time of Jesus, who said he was perfect, who died to say he was perfect. Not only that, like the apostle said, to, to, to live as Christ, to die is gain. I mean, the apostle Paul, uh, Peter, we could name a bunch of them. But l- let me just say something. His own family were not believers. In fact, James, his brother. I mean, how would you like to be the brother of Jesus? You know, you're growing up and your parents always say, can't you be just a little more like Jesus? You know, I mean, that would be frustrating, right? But, but let me just tell you something. James, okay, who did not believe in Jesus when Jesus was on earth did not believe that he was the son of God. But there was no record of any of his family members coming forward and saying, yeah, he's saying he's perfect, but there was this one time when he was 13 and I really got under his nerves and he said, or he did. So James, who was not a follower, think of that, did not come forward. He had every reason to come forward, but he didn't. I believe because he couldn't. Then, when James saw the resurrection, I've given you a a, a passage of Scripture in your notes where it says that James now, after the resurrection, became a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only did he become a follower of his half-brother, but he became a believer to the point that he died. So now your little brother is dying for the truth that he now believes. So he had a front row seat at Jesus' feet. Okay, growing up, seeing him, he went from a skeptic to a believer and died for it. His own family, think about that, a- and became a leader in the first century church. And so there's some overwhelming evidence, and I want to look at now the second half, okay? So we're halfway through. I want to look at the second half of this, so that's Jesus' perfection. But now I want to say, what does that mean to us? Because none of us are, are perfect. In fact, we all religion really tries to get you to, to to buy into this thing that you can you know you can you can act like you're perfect you can act like you have nothing going wrong you know as long as you dot your you know uh, dot your eyes and cross your t's and kind of have all your religious boxes checked you're good. But let's just be honest, none of us are perfect, and the harder we try, the worse we get. <laughs> and so we have to say, okay, we can't be perfect. Jesus was. So what does it mean to us? And I want, I want you to see three parts to this, uh, ways that God addresses our imperfections, okay? First, the perfection of, of Jesus' promises give hope beyond our sin. Next, we're gonna see how the perfection of his person gives peace amidst our sin, and then we're gonna see how the perfection of his, of his principles give freedom from our sin, okay? So all of us in here, we want hope beyond our sin. Let me tell you, there's hope beyond your struggle, beyond your sin, beyond the sins that so easily beset you, as Paul said. And then peace amidst our sin. Listen, we're in a sinful world. How are we supposed to have peace? You know, peace on earth, you know. Stop it, you know. Like, what are you doing? You know, we're all angry with people. Peace on earth, we come to church. Peace on earth, on the way home. Yeah! You know, rage monster, right? So how do we have peace amidst our sin, amidst our falls, our faults, and then how do we have freedom from sin? Let me tell you something. The devil wants you to think and wants you to believe that there is no way for you to have freedom from your past. The devil wants every single person in here to believe the lie that the power that Jesus has, yeah, I mean, it's good in theory, but it's not practical. I mean, come on. This is biology. Like, I have this actual addiction. Or, I mean, yeah, okay, freedom from sin, but I mean, I don't want to be free. I want this, right? Like, I want this sin. So how is Jesus going to free me from something I want that I'm actively pursuing? Man, that's an awesome question. So let's dive into this, okay? Because I believe the answer is right here in this passage of Scripture. We're going to walk through it. Okay, number one, uh, the promise of Jesus gives hope, okay? Hope beyond sin, the promise of Jesus gives hope. So that's number one. Again, we're going to walk through this passage verse by verse, okay? So, so let's just walk through this, all right? uh, verse number. right? Uh, we're going to start in verse number 25, read verse 26, and then, and then keep, keep walking our way down the, the passage. And this is not what I'm saying. This is straight from the Word of God. So, so this is not a religious talk, okay? This is not, you know, some religious talking points that I was emailed. Okay, this is just me walking through the text with you. Okay, and, and I want you to see this from the Word of God because there is so much evidence backing up what is being said here. Okay, it would actually take more faith not to believe it. So let me show this to you. Verse number 25 says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Everyone say Simeon. Okay, I want you to remember that name. Okay, because that name's going to mean something at the end. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, so that's what we're talking about, a man who loved God, a man who saw the consolation of Israel coming. Now, what does that mean? Like the consolation, we don't really use that word that much, consolation. Well, this is what the word means. It's actually where we get the word parakletos. It's the root of parakletos, but, but the parakletos, it's, it's this really, really fun word in the Bible because it's used so many different ways. But but really, it's just talking about encouragement or comfort, exhortation. And and when when we're talking about it with the Holy Spirit being the paracletos, the helper, okay, we're talking about him coming to one's aid. Now specifically, this word is talking about someone calling for, for aid, meaning you need help, and it's on the way. Help that has been called is now on the way. So that's what Simeon was saying when he was looking for the constellation of Israel. He was saying, help is on the way. How many of you are so glad help came? Help came and his name is Jesus Christ. And so God is showing us through the life of Simeon that he loves us enough to show us Uh, His love through the person of Jesus and and to give hope for humanity. Uh, God uses this imperfect person in Simeon uh, to reflect the perfection of Jesus. To say, I'm looking toward Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I want to reflect the perfection of someone who's coming. And Simeon's life was a beacon of light to everyone who saw him. Here's why. And this is why I believe Luke uses Simeon. Because Simeon had a ton of credibility. Here's why. He was a just man in an unjust world. It was incredibly unfair. There was so much injustice in the world at the time of Simeon. Next, he was a cautious man in a careless world. How many of you know we we live in such a careless world? People don't care about uh, other people. People don't care about, uh, you know, children. And, I mean, there's so much carelessness. But he was a cautious man. He was, he was careful uh, about what he said, what he did. That's the word devout in the passage. He was a patient man in an impatient world. Has anyone been to the mall? Okay? You have seen exhibit A of impatience, okay? I was in Target yesterday. I mean, I was getting run into by cars. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. You know, it's like, it's like you know the stuff is going to still be here in five minutes. You know that, right? Okay, you know they're going to have more stuff come in tomorrow, right? I mean, it's just like everyone has, has all of this, you know, uh, built up, you know, anxiety, and they're just taking it out on the world, but he was a patient man. He was a godly man in a godless world, and he was a blessed man in a world. World. Did you know this world's been cursed by sin? This world's been cursed by sin, and the reverse for the curse is Jesus' blood and his resurrection, his forgiveness of our sins. And so I want I want to I want to jump down to verse 29. Guys, go to go to verse 29, because I want to show you that when he saw Jesus, he said this Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word you know you want you want hope everyone in here wants hope i hope that you leave with some hope but did you know that the hope that you're going to receive is not hope that is found in a person. It's not hope that's found in, in my words. It is hope that is found according to the word of God. You know there's hope in this Bible because it gives you promises, and they are not empty promises. They are promises that are backed by the Holy Spirit-led word of God. You say, how is that? How is that? Well, the word "word" in this passage is not Lagos, as you would see normally. It's actually a little bit different of a word. And it's the word rhema. It's actually where we get the word raiment from. And it's a fact. It's a message or a statement of truth. It's a promise. But it's actually not just a promise. It's a promise with evidence to back it up. Rhema is actually a word that was used for the court of law. William Blackstone, who, who founded our court system, used this Greek word, okay, as, and, and, and talked about it as a way to say that anyone who makes a statement in court without evidence, it is not admissible. And so, let me, let me illustrate this for everyone who, who doesn't spend their time in court, okay? In my hand, I hold the box for a pet VR set, Okay? This is a mega 360 virtual reality headset for your dog and there's also one for your cat, okay so you just download the app, okay how many of you have a pet who needs this? okay you need you just put the pet on you know but they could just have fun when, when you're at work or whatever. Well I saw this at the store. I actually saw it at Target and I thought, man that's really cool and I'm looking at it and it was it was it was on the shelf and I then I, I looked below and I, I saw it and I'm like, does, does that really exist? Now, I don't have a pet that would use this, okay? But I, I thought, man, they're really getting creative. And then I looked right underneath of it and, and did you know that this has nothing in it? I paid $5 for this box just to use this as an illustration because I wanted you to know this is a great picture of what the world says will fulfill you. See, this is a prank box you just put whatever you want inside of it you wrap it and you give it to your friend and they think it's this but really it's something else that's what the world does the world makes promises they cannot keep the world says that it can fulfill you it says that it can leave you satisfied the world says that you're going to get joy you're going to be if you just get that next if you oh if that happens then And it's always just outside of your reach. Do you know what it is? It's an empty promise. It's an empty promise because the world cannot fulfill you because this hole inside your heart, the empty void that you are feeling, that I'm feeling, was placed there by sin. And it is in the shape of Jesus Christ. And if I do not seek God to fill myself, I will fill myself with something that will always leave me feeling empty. And the world has a full bag of empty promises. But I will tell you, the promise that God makes, the promise that he made to Simeon, and the promises he makes to you are always true. They are always true. Let let, let me just say, if you're skeptical of that, let let me walk you through this. Simeon, was was someone who followed the promise of God, who believed the promise of God. And he was someone who saw that the promise of God was something that would one day fulfill him. I want you to see this key thought about Jesus coming to bring hope. That Jesus came to conquer sin so that we would have the hope of winning the war within. You know the greatest hope that you can have is to win the battle over sin. Sin is what leaves you depleted. Sin is what caused cancer. Sin is what brings shame. Sin is what brings the pain. God didn't design the world that way. That's the curse. But Jesus came to give you hope. He came to give you the, the, the power you needed to overcome The world greater is he that is in you uh, than he that is in the world. Jesus came to live the life that uh, you and I could not live. And he died the death I deserved to die so that I could live the life he came to give. God wants you to live a life, as he said, that is more abundant. But let me tell you, if you take the life, a 30, 40, 50 year life, and you compare the life that is lived by the promises of God, and you compare the life that is lived by the promises of the world, or the promises of yourself, or the promise uh, uh, that one day you will be fulfilled, or if you just uh, get that position, or if you just get that car, or if you just were married, or if you just had this one thing, or if you just checked this one box, then you would feel differently. In 30, 40 years, if you just compare the empty promises to the promises of God. I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest proofs of the fact that Jesus came to liberate us from ourselves. He didn't just come to bring the promise that gives us hope. Number two, he came uh, to to be the person uh, that gives us peace. Number two, the person of Jesus gives us peace. I want you to see this in verse number 27. Verse number 27 says, "'And he came by the Spirit into the temple.'" And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus uh, to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now he was knowing why he was waiting. He knew that his, that his uh, grandchildren and his great-grandchildren w- would all be blessed. Why? Because now the blesser was come down to earth to bring peace on earth, uh, good will toward men. And God loves us uh, to lead us through the Holy Spirit, and He's always leading us to the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, when He saw Jesus, let me remind you what He said in verse 29. He said, said, man, now I can depart in peace. Everyone say peace. That's the word irene, and it just means to be held together by a force that is not your own. When you have peace with God, there is a greater power that is wrapping around you, that is, that is encompassing you. And it is not uh, a peace that is from the outside in. It is a peace from the inside out. And let me tell you, there's a lot of anxiety in the world. I'm about to create some right now because there was a man who uh, was uh, competing on uh, the Guinness Book of World Rec- Records show, I, I didn't know there was a show, but I guess there's a show where people go on there and try to break records. Well, this was a very unusual record because he had a friend, and they had been practicing trying to break the coconut smashing record. But it, it was specifically the coconut smashing record while blindfolded, and it was the record that was a coconut-shaped uh, in the form of a man with a man in the shape let's take a look at it yes, yes or no mm-hmm. yes notice his heart rate okay so so it's it's pretty high okay no matter how much you trust a friend okay this is ultimate trust Three, right here okay 2 1 <clears throat> go, go. Now, again, he's blindfolded, okay? This is Guinness Book of World Records, smashing the coconut. He doesn't hit him. If, if, you're, if, if, if you're about to pass out, he doesn't hit him, okay? So that, that's enough, guys. So, so let me just say something about this. The reason why I showed you that is because this is what the world thinks the Bible talks about when it talks about peace. The world thinks that when someone stands up and says that Jesus came to bring peace, there's this internal eye roll that I've talked to people about because it says, how can you say peace? There's no peace. Yeah, I mean, think about everything that's happening in the world. Jesus came to bring peace. Where? Are you kidding me? Do you think this guy's at peace who's laying there? I don't care how many times they've gone through that. He's freaking out on the inside. He is. I mean, his chest was going up and down, his heart rate, I mean, uh, that, that's, that's intense. That's a metal hammer. Here's, here's the difference. Jesus is not saying, I am coming to remove, see, this is what the world thinks, I'm coming to remove all of the pressure. See, see, they're like, well, wait a second, if Jesus says he came to bring peace, there's no peace, that's a false promise. Let me just tell you something. The type of peace he's bringing is not removing trouble. It is putting strength that you did not have amidst the trouble. It is putting a power in you that you did not possess before, and it is bringing you into alignment with what God has designed you, how he's made you, and it is just enough for today. You see, I want strength for tomorrow, but God says, no, tomorrow is in my hands. I'm just gonna give you enough strength for today. You see, if I'm honest, I just want God to remove all the pressure, but God didn't send Jesus to remove all the pressure. Friend, let me just say, the reason I'm so passionate about this, I want you all to get this. From the very back row, from the person who's brand new to the faith, I want you to understand that Jesus gives peace not from pressure. He doesn't just give you peace From circumstances, he gives you peace in circumstances. He is peace. He is the prince of peace. When you know him, you know a strength and an internal uh, power that you did not possess before. And so peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of Jesus because Jesus completely fills the void of any empty soul I have a lot of people who say well I'm not empty I feel very fulfilled Uh, and I always say congratulations that's awesome but if we're all honest there's a part of us who realizes we're not enough you can be the greatest in your field and you will still realize one day you're not enough Nothing or no one can leave us feeling full and satisfied. But you know, it's interesting that if I was Simeon, I would stop at the peace part. Now I can have peace. It actually kind of bothered me when I was studying the story. He didn't stop. It was, it was bothering me, and I, and, I, and I really had to ask, ask the Lord, like, Lord, please tell me, like, why is this story not jiving with me. Why does it feel like, why does it feel like a dissonant chord? You know what I mean? Have you ever uh, played, and, and I'm not mu- musical enough, but have you ever played a chord and, or you heard a note and it's like, uh, uh, what? You know, like, that was a little off. I, mean, I don't know if it was sharp or flat or what, but that was a little off. It's kind of how, how the story made me feel. I'm just being honest with you. And here's why. Look, look let's, let's keep reading verse 31. So, so he says, now I can depart in peace. So now he's talking to, to Mary and Joseph. He just met them. Complete strangers. Okay? So, so again, I have people who say, well, it was, just a, it was just a fluke accident that this guy knew the prophets, and he was there, and it was all a big scam. And I'm like, oh my word. You know, he was in the right place at the right time. I mean, you start lining all this stuff up, and you're like, man, you know, there were a lot of coincidences. My goodness. Uh, v- verse 31 says, though, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. So, so Simeon knew, and he wanted Mary and Joseph and everyone who, who was hearing him to know that this was a big deal, and it was going to affect all people. By the way, that affects me. I'm a part of that, all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles, me, okay? And the glory of thy people, Israel. The word glory means perfection, Okay, so that's where we get the perfection of miracle, the fact that Simeon was saying he was going to be perfect. Verse 33 and Mary and Joseph, they marveled at these things which are spoken of him. Whoa, what are you saying? Like, are you saying what we think you're saying? Yes. Yes, I am coming to make peace with man. Jesus was not just going to bring peace. But he was going to make peace. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was enmity with God. And by the way, every person in this room, before you encounter Jesus, and before Jesus' blood is applied to your account, my life first, he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of of God in him. Before we encounter Jesus, we are at enemies with God. We we are at war with God. We are serving ourselves, and he's saying, I made you to serve me. We are, we are warring. Everything's different. Uh, you know, everything he wants is different than what we want. So we're warring against Jesus. But when, uh, when again, God, when Jesus came to earth, he said, I am going to, uh, with, with, with outstretched hands, I am going to, in my humanity, reach down to man. And in my divinity, reach up to God. And I am going to reconnect God with man. Now, here's the key thought. And that is this, Jesus came to change our status with God from enemy to family so that we could be at peace. Do you know every time that I have anxiety, every time, every time that I worry, every time that, that I feel my heart rate going up, every time that I get angry, every time that, that, I, that I have that feeling inside me, and every single person in here knows about that. Okay? We're going we're gonna to just be honest for a second and say that every person in here feels that way. Every time, it is not just me and someone else. But there is a greater battle going on, and it is a battle for preeminence. And if I am going to be honest with myself, I need to understand that if I'm at peace with God, I can be at peace, if possible, with anyone. Now there's some, some people, it's not possible. But I believe that God makes it possible for us to, to, to be at peace. Meaning, you might not have restoration, but you can forgive and you can be at peace with all men, but God ultimately came to change the status through Jesus, from fam- from enemy to make us family. Now here's a few verses uh, in your notes, and, and let me sum them up. Romans chapter five, verse number eight through 10. I won't take the time to read it, but, but God sent His Son to reconcile man uh, to himself. Uh, Romans 8:15 through17. Uh, We understand that we are now heirs. We are family with God. We are a part of his family through the death of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came not just to give hope uh, as a way out of sin, not to just give peace inside sin, but to give freedom from sin. So his principles give freedom from sin. And he actually said this. He said, his truth will set you free. I don't know what freedom you need this morning, but it is possible in the person of Jesus Christ. And let's read the last two verses here, verse 34 and verse 35, and then we'll be finished. He says uh, in verse 34, and Simeon blessed them. So after they marveled, wow, thank you so much, what wonderful words. It just starts getting more and more negative. And I think that's what really bothered me about this passage, is it didn't end like a Disney story. It, it didn't end with, you know, A wonderful feeling. Oh, that's great. You know, like, oh, let's go. Change the world. You know, it's like, wait a second. This is serious stuff. Simeon blessed them. And this was his blessing. He said, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Verse 34. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. Verse 35. They, a son, shall pierce A sword, I'm sorry, shall pierce through thy own soul also. He's talking about Mary. By the way, he did not not mention Joseph because Joseph was not related through blood. Only legally was he related to Jesus, but not through blood. We talked about that last week. So a sword's going to pierce through the soul of Mary. And, and, And in so many ways that was true, that the thoughts of many, verse 35, may be revealed. Now, there's not a week that goes by where, where someone doesn't say to me, you know, I, I really think, you know, the ver- that verse was for me or, or someone said something and it was for me. and I believe that God uses his word. One of the things I know that God uses his word to do is God uses his word to highlight something in our lives that need to change. When I was studying Simeon and, and, and the, the, the thought about Simeon, I I started thinking to myself, why was Simeon, why Simeon, why would God choose Simeon, what was the purpose of God choosing Simeon to be the sign, why Simeon, and then I started to piece it together, wait a second, God chose to reconnect to man through Jesus, and, and that reconnection began after, after Adam began with Abraham, and here is the beautiful picture, that Abraham would have a son named Isaac. And Isaac would have a son named Jacob. And Jacob would have 12 sons. And his second son would be named Simeon. And that Simeon would be, would be born to Leah. Leah, who was discouraged and, and who thought God had forsaken her, would bear a second son. And do you know what she would name that son? She would name that son Simeon. And this is what she would say about that son in naming him Simeon. And I believe the Lord laid this on her heart long before seeing the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Simeon means uh, that God has heard my cry. Simeon means that now that God has heard my cry, I can be at peace I can be freed from the past. I can be freed from my identity crisis uh, that Leah was in. I can be freed from all the things that are going through my head and all the things that are wrong, I can be freed from that. A lot of people say, you know, I don't like religion because I feel so bound by the rules or I don't like religion because of all the things it tells me to do. I just want to be free and I hear that a lot and you know, freedom's a tricky thing because the more we want to be free, The more we want to feel free, we actually don't realize that we're in bondage to the feeling we call free. And so as we close today, I just wanted to tell you a quick story of something that happened personally to me. I want to relate it to the life of Simeon and the fact that, that we all are faced every single day with our imperfections. But that Jesus came to be perfect for us so that we could claim his perfection, not try to work on our own. Two summers ago, uh, my family uh, and I drove um, some of Danielle's family to Arches National Park, and um, I had been through there before. But but man, what a beautiful, uh, uh, you know, uh, picturesque spot. And um, and actually, we uh, there's a map. If if you guys could start with the map um, that, that you get right when you, right, right when you go in and they, you know, take all your money, uh, for getting inside, you know, um, and, and you walk through and you, or you you can drive on the red and then you have to walk on the green. And so, um, I was actually with my father-in-law. My father-in-law said, hey, hey, we were in the lead car. He said, hey, I I want you just to pick an arch that we can go to. Pick an arch. and We had a lot, lots of kids with us and everything. So he said, pick an arch that would be easy to get to. And, and uh, so we passed through the fiery furnace, okay, and we went up through um, the, 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 these arches, and there, were lots of, there was lots of traffic and stuff, so we just kept going. Finally, we got to the end of the line here, and, uh, and I thought, well, this is a good event. I didn't want to backtrack, so I said, let's just hike to this arch. Well, I had no idea. I'd never been there. Uh, I said, let's see. So we got out, and, and we started hiking. Now, it's named Fiery Furnace and Devil's Garden because it was 1,000 degrees. It was like walking on the surface of the sun. I mean, it was just incredible how hot that day was. And uh, when we started out, we were, we were having fun just taking pictures. In fact, I have a picture of Danielle taking a picture, which I often do. Okay, she's always taking pictures, and I'm taking a picture of her taking pictures. Um, and so this is the boys. We are starting out. We are feeling good. But I will tell you, I mean, halfway along this journey, no arch. 50 minutes into the hike, and it's, I mean, it is so hot. We see these, these rescue workers carrying people on these stretchers who, on, with wheels who had passed out. We're like, well, how far is the arch? And they're like, you know, they're looking at us like, turn around now, you know. It's like, I mean, this is called devil's garden, but I mean, what is going on? You know, we know it's hot, and we're trying to drink as much water. Now we're out of water, and I'm like, what's going on, you know? Finally, we reach the arch, and, and this was it. This was, this was the arch, not the first picture, the other picture. No, not this one, the other, the other one. In fact, it doesn't even look like an arch. That's why. So if you can see right here, there's a, there's a little arch. We hiked. Listen, no. I led our entire family, like on an hour and a half hike through Hades, okay, to, to what didn't you couldn't even recognize as an arch. I mean, the guys in the back couldn't even see it. We were, I mean, now, now they were being gracious to me, but everyone was angry with me. I mean, like, you know how when your family's angry, but you don't want confrontation, they like won't look at you in your eye, you know, like they won't make eye contact, I'm like, okay, guys, I'm sorry, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so here's the worst part. I put my family in danger. I mean, my, I'm serious. I, I was getting worried. I mean, my, my, my boys were, I mean, they were dragging. I mean, I was dragging. I'm like, I'm barely alive, much less, I mean, everyone else. Finally got to the car. We got hydrated, and, and, and I mean, we, we get in the car. We're so exhausted. I mean, I don't know if you've been out in heat like that and, and d- done a really, really hard hike. Now, it said, on the map, it says moderate, okay? I don't know what, there was nothing moderate about that. But we got in the car, we start driving. And we, we get out of the park, and, and we take a left onto the highway, and all of a sudden, on the highway, within 100 meters, is this arch. The, the first arch that they kept showing. This one. The looks I got in that car, when they saw a better arch that A, we didn't have to pay for, okay, and B, that didn't have to hike to, right, they were like incredulous. They were like, really? So next time, we're not giving you the map, right? You're not, you're not getting the map. Why? I was so focused on seeing the best arch, the most perfect arch that i missed the one closest to me let me just tell you something about religion it tricks us into thinking that the more you hike and the harder you try the more perfect you will become but let me just tell you something jesus paid the price that you're trying to pay he hiked the hike to the cross he endured hell and sin and shame for you so that you didn't have to. And religion tells you a lie that says you have to do to become. Jesus says, I have done so that you could become like me. The greatest miracle of perfection is that it can be applied to our account. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that God sees the perfection of Jesus applied Onto your heart and your life the greatest miracle of Jesus is the fact that yes he was perfect but that his sinless perfection could be placed on my account as a wonderful gift of forgiveness that is completely free to me but that cost him everything and so Simeon means God has heard my cry And every sin that you and I commit today, tomorrow, and the next day, let it be a a Simeon reminder. Let it be a reminder that you're not perfect, but he is. And that what you do with Jesus determines whether you succeed or you fail. Remember what Simeon said? Every person will either rise or fall because of Jesus. And the thoughts of your heart will be revealed through your actions. So here's the takeaway, and then we're finished. And It is this. Every success and failure, every success and failure, is determined by what we do with Jesus. Let's say that together. Every success and failure is determined by what we do with Jesus. If you follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy, but it'll always be worth it. And by the way, you, 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 can, you can reject Jesus. You can walk out of here and say that he wasn't who he said he was. You can deny his claims. But one thing you cannot do, you cannot ignore Jesus. Because he said he was perfect. And no one for 2,000 years, 2,019 years, no one has brought evidence to prove that he wasn't. The miracle of perfection Can be placed in your heart and in your life. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.